Has there ever been a thin eyebrows on dudes trend? Oh, yeah. You never watched Jersey Shore? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thin eyebrows was my whole high, that was my whole high school experience in uh, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Oh, I'm from Bay Ridge. Awesome. I went to Poly Prep. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Refinitiv. Want to achieve more with data? Refinitiv gives you access to the largest depth and breadth of financial data to fuel more powerful models. Check out Refinitiv.com slash stackpodcast to try the Refinitiv Icon Data API now. Refinitiv. Data is just the beginning. Good morning, America and the rest of the world. You're listening to WBLZ Stack Overflow Podcast in the AM. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Why BLZ? Uh, I just made up a radio name. Oh, okay, great. I since we have Jen Jen Schiffer back for another blessed half hour, I'd like to talk a little bit about the live Twitch stream <laughs> that we did as cuz I think it it Ooh. it was a pretty good example of everything that can go wrong with computers. <laughs> yeah. I was on it, but I wasn't there. I would sign into the OBS link and I would be there, but all of your screens would just be black with no audio or picture for me. Oh, so you had oh, no idea. You had no That's idea. That's why you were just like changing hats and doing dances. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't <laughs> see anything. I just, I knew that I was logged in, but I was not, I couldn't hear or see any of you until the very end. So first of all, Sarah, it was for Dev Around the Sun. How did Dev yeah. Around the Sun do? It went great. It went great. We had about 75,000 people come, which was pretty cool. And we raised, I think it's like, I think like $60,000 or so for uh, right. Director Leaf. Yeah. Yeah, it was that's, really great. That's fant- That's one of the best ARPU rates on the internet. Your revenue per user is fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah I'd like to invest. I'd like to do your seed stage right now if that's yeah. possible. That's great. Congratulations. But now let's talk about our live podcast. <laughs> Can I just enumerate <laughs> the things that went wrong? Yeah. Yeah, you should, we should start there. It was amazing. So first of all, we were supposed to record it live and none of us got that together. So that was good. Second of all, we were brought into this unusual interface for yeah. OBS, like a web version of OBS, which is yeah, a OBS streaming Ninja. tool. Yeah, OBS Ninja. Yep. And so it was fine, except that I just didn't know anything about it. So you couldn't, like you apparently you could control the audio of different people who were talking. So the coordinator just kind of kept talking and uh, like over us. And I didn't know I could turn him down. Then Jen right. came on. And she managed, her video would freeze exactly every 30 seconds. Hi, Jen. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. And and it was like perfect because you'd be like, okay, finally, it's resolved. It's working. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. And then it would would be this like, and it wasn't like the stutter out where you're like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. It was just full on, clunk, we're done. And then it would take like 10 seconds to realize. Sarah and I had good connectivity. And then Ben didn't know he was coming on. And he kept coming on wearing funny hats (laughs) and doing little dances. And we were trying. I couldn't figure out what the hell was happening. And the audio, yeah, the person running audio, like, he's just, he's just like seeing all this go on. And they're just, Ben oh, yeah. is the coming in the video. I'm so sorry. He's coming in the video and like, all that you see is video of Ben with, in like a fez. And like a he was trying. Hat. He was trying so hard to create I'm a so professional sorry, product. 
And the degree. I didn't really know that I was coming through to you. Yeah. No, he, he was so, Paul, he was doing producing. He was trying to talk in your ear. He was talking, he was supposed to be just like Mike in your ear. Well, no, no. He was talking to other people as he was coordinating. Uh, He wasn't really talking to us. He was like, so I needed to turn him down. Yeah. So that we right. could we could focus because he was like both in the room and he, I think he just assumed obviously we would do that and then he could flag us in some way. But right. Anyway, you were listening to the studio chatter and I was blissfully unaware that I was on camera hamming it up. But that's good to know. I was on camera. <laughs> so I mean, there's this assumption that we all now live, and I'm I'm partially responsible for this. I'm like, oh well, we're all live streamers now. I mean, this is it. <laughs> and I had my first taste of what that's really. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that we're not all live streamers yet. Yeah. Oh, Lord. I don't know. I spend about five hours on Zoom calls every day, so I'm most definitely a live streamer. Yep. Yeah, but I feel like that that makes sense, and that sounds right, but it didn't, for me, it didn't translate. Like, it just didn't translate into, like, okay, you're on Zoom calls all day, which I am as well. Like, you should understand how to do this. I was like, this is complicated. Well, let me yeah. tell you, I have a good excuse, which is that I was in Germantown, New York, which is hopefully where I'm going to spend the rest of the summer. And there's only one phone and internet provider there, Germantown Telephone or GTEL, which began in 1905 and has not changed much since. So I'm getting fiber from them today. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I definitely got the bug. Though. I, I got the bug, though. I want to I, I think it would be really cool if we actually did live stream the podcast. So now it's all over for y'all. Oh, man, you've wrecked it. Sounds good. (laughs) So, look, we're very lucky we get a chance to have a do-over. We've got Jen Schiffer back. Yeah, Jen, yeah. Jen, tell the people who you are and what you do. Sure. I am Jen Schiffer. I am a software developer and artist, and I am, by day, director of community engineering at Glitch, the website, glitch.com where I lead teams that are in charge of support and developer advocacy. And I'm very happy to be with y'all, my friends, here today, live streaming. What about by night? (laughs) Yeah, what about by night? (laughs) By night? Oh, gosh. So funny enough, I've been working on a new project, a blog, which... I'm, I'm launching on May 25th in the form of a live streaming event. So that will be fun and exciting and thrilling. I have to find my 25-foot Ethernet cable to see if I can yes. like make sure that I can execute this. If you need any help with the technical execution of the live stream, we're really good at that. So you can yeah. just come to us. We'll knock it out of the park. Yeah, well, I, I heard that there's this great service called OBS.ninja <laughs> that I OBS can Ninja. Uh, Oh, I strongly oh, yeah. recommend it. Forget it, it, Zoom. Anything, Forget it. Anything that ends in dot .ninja you know is going to be a quality quality product. That's <laughs> What country that's what is that? .ninja? That's what I was telling Paul earlier. <laughs> .ninja. That is uh, <laughs> the country of like anime fans. <laughs> <laughs> and we should just say that Glitch is kind of in some ways a sister company or a, a related company for Stack. Glitch grew out of Fog Creek Software where Joel Spolsky was. And now Joel is on the board of Glitch and Neil, who's the CEO of Glitch, is on the board of Stack. And we're, you know, the companies are very tightly interwoven in many ways. What was Glitch called before it was called Glitch? I can't remember. GoMix. And then it was HyperDev. And then that's I think right, That's right. That's right. I should point out, too, my company, Glitch hired my company to help with their magazine <laughs> Glimmer. So the level of, of just yes. nepotistic self-congratulation going on in this podcast <laughs> is utterly unforgivable. 
Glitch.com slash Glimmer. Glimmer is great. Glimmer has good editorial support. It is a good magazine about tech and culture. Oh, yeah. All the people behind it are so good. Margarita Noriega editing. Wait, I have have a question. Something that really stresses me out and keeps me up late at night is I know that thin, late 90s, early 2000s eyebrows are going to be coming back at some point. And none of us know when, but at some point we're all going to have to thin out our eyebrows again. Jen, you're bringing back blogs. You tend to be a tastemaker. Are you saying that like early 2000s tech is going to become cool again? Well, I mean, on May 25th, when livelaugh.blog launches, blogs will be cool again. As for the eyebrows, which I have lots of opinions on, I was not allowed to pluck my eyebrows as a kid, so I actually got past the the, the trauma of over, over tweezing. And so I'm thriving wow. right now in this moment of undone yeah, brows. So yeah. lucky. I actually think the CDC recommends thin 90s eyebrows. I think that helps to, <laughs> to slow the spread. So It's not going to happen. I'm not going to fall for that trap again. You know, I just think for the larger man, the, the, the very thin eyebrows just basically make you look like you, you know, are sitting on a carpet in a cave somewhere. Like it's not a, it's not a great look. But I'll consider it. I need to stay with the times in order to be a contemporary code commentator with all with Ks, actually. Yeah, we'll see how yeah, Jen's exactly. blogs go and then we can decide. Yeah, I have a, a little blog post I want to read to you here and get you some of your thoughts. And this was on Hacker News yesterday and I thought it was interesting. Listen to this. So of the 3,000 plus software companies acquired over the last three years, only 7% were ever covered by TechCrunch, Recode, Verge, et cetera, mainstream coverage. And so then what it goes on to say is we don't think about it a lot, but there's all of these little software companies making you know the program that runs the accounting for every funeral home actuarial in Oklahoma, making $10 million a year and $5 million in profit. So just a question, curious, do you agree with this? Like, hey, there's kind of this invisible world of amazing little software companies. And have you ever worked at one of those or known one and thought you thought was kind of cool? Because we talk about the big tech companies. We talk about the ones that are like making a ton of money or losing a ton of money, but we don't really talk about like the small business software startup. Although maybe, Paul, you feel like you run a shop like that. There's a zillion of them. And yeah, no, of course. Like, it, here's the deal. It's not in their best interest to be covered on TechCrunch. Like, they, they don't care. Like, right. the, it won't bring more business to them. And they're not looking for another venture round. And they're not trying to get that, the TechCrunch logo on their website because it won't be meaningful. And so it's just like, that's only a tiny percentage of the market where people want that particular kind of attention. If you are, yeah. you know, a healthcare services company, Maybe one little write-up if you're trying to hire, but for the most part, what you want is coverage near the people who would be buying your service. Yeah, it's just so fascinating to me to think of like the independent software shop where you could have 10 developers, a thousand customers, and just like this kick-ass business that could, you know, as far as you know, run for years. It's like it's like an annuity. It just prints money. I love that. It is, except that because the space is so dynamic, it's hard to create a really good defensive moat at that scale because somebody else can come in and just kind of build your thing or take other things and build your thing. And you're at the risk kind of as to who has the best salespeople, right? Mm. So like, it's hard. That, That scale is a very, very difficult scale of business. It's that like one to 15 people, you're always vulnerable. 
And even if yeah. you have a good lock-in, I mean, you could maybe, you know, get five years out of that. It's hard to get 10. Right. Because even if you have the best performance, you know, or the best engineering that's made some breakthroughs, unless you can actually get the funeral director on the phone or in person to show them, it's not going to make a difference, right? Like the sales is what seals the deal. And then yeah. some big, some bigger org sees some opportunity there and they, they hire three of your people. Talent retention is also really hard. If you get something good and you have somebody really good, they are a very attractive commodity. So it's a tough scale. Like you're, you know, when you are competing against Google and Facebook for talent, when you're competing against bigger firms that can offer really, you know, different kinds of upside. Like I think what really gets me here is like people think a lot about the, the, the huge cash out from the VC backed firm, right? Like maybe I'll get my hundred times. And we kind of all know that that doesn't really happen for most people. That's what you're really competing with. Can I provide like a good salary and good stability over the course of many years? Right. And then if SAP decides that they want my people, what am I going to do? I wonder if this trend or a certain kind of software engineering and work will like sort of accelerate now that we have companies like Twitter saying you never need to come back to work. Forget about San Francisco, be anywhere. And so many companies in, you know, post pandemic are going to say like, before we were remote friendly, now it's like remote first because like it doesn't, we've seen that it doesn't matter. What, what do y'all think about the remote revolution? <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Yeah, that's, that's a really wild thing. I think I don't know how it'll, how it'll affect folks. What I'm excited about though is giving the opportunity for folks, you know, in the middle of the country or, you know, in countries around the world to have those competitive salaries that you see in Silicon Valley in New York. I, I think that's something that draws people here, right? They, it's Companies around here pay a premium for folks. And if you could do that, but also live in a house that actually fits your kids, that's great. <laughs> you, are, you are speaking to the last two and a half months of my life where I was <laughs> like, wait, wait a minute. You're telling me I've been paying all this money for a tiny apartment where I could be paying less money for a big house? Yeah. Wait a minute. But Jen, yeah, I'm curious. Like, what do you think? I think one of the interesting things is like, This is kind of like after the great financial crisis of 2008, like changes were made that were of necessity and of the moment and of the crisis. But then once they were done, you kind of realize like, oh, wait, this is actually good for business and maybe good for the worker, maybe not, maybe good for the corporate owner, maybe not. But like for Twitter, I'm sure they're saying if everybody wants to work from home and we don't have to rent expensive real estate in San Francisco and provide you with breakfast, lunch, dinner, kombucha and cold brew on tap, like, sure, (laughs) we'll we'll hire people at that, you know, like without all those perks, we'd love to. Yeah, I, you know, so Glitch has always been like at least half remote distributed until until the pandemic. I was, you know, I managed two teams and everyone on those teams were remote already. I was the only one working out of the office. So it was actually pretty easy for us to adapt to me working from home. They just had to see my cat more. It's been very <laughs> interesting reading about companies, you know, kind of scheduling when they want folks to come back. And hearing from folks who have been working remote, you know, saying like, I wish that my company would just like, let me stay remote. And I have a hard time. Well, I understand why like Microsoft wants folks to come back to, you know, being in the office because that's like kind of the path to least resistance for them. Like, I feel like whoever's making that decision doesn't see like the money. I don't know. It's, it's very wild kind of seeing how people are reacting to things that they were given being taken away and like reading about, you know, the Google employees talking internally about missing being fed and all that sort of stuff. It's been really uh, interesting. (laughs) 
I've had I've had several quiet cries in the bathroom thinking back to my stack NYC office days when I was given a sumptuous lunch every single day. A stack Just, stack wow. babied you guys. It was lovely. Oh my god. Yeah. Thinking back to this like patio eleven law, I think this this idea of a bunch of people in large tech companies discovering that like we're in a bubble inside a larger tech space is really kind of wild to me. And I think that that's something that a lot of people, these big companies are discovering is like they're online more listening and reading about how other people are adapting. And they're realizing like, oh, these are perks that like are like unique to like our sort of level in this space. Mm. There are COBOL developers who've been building payroll software for decades and they probably don't get like free lunch every day. And there's, I think <laughs> we're all being is definitely exposed a, ba- a, a bag bit lunch kind of profession. Oh, yeah. I read a blog post not too long ago. <laughs> there, there's a blog post by an office admin at a Silicon Valley tech company and it's anonymous and it's long. And it's about the way that this person who, you know, has a graduate degree and is kind of making it work, how they are treated on a day-to-day basis and sort of how they are commoditized. It is rough. You're just like, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I would say, though? I think when we talk about remote work, Twitter going remote, first of all, Twitter releases one new feature every 36 months. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) why not? Why not? Like, you know, if you're on that cycle where it's literally Jack Dorsey grows a beard every time there's a new feature, why not send everybody home and let them work on that scale? And so, like, our company, my company has always been relatively split and engineering has always been remote first it's led remotely and then product and design were always in new york city because we they're just so communications driven and the clients are are in new york city and we're starting to hire remotely because this is going to be a long time and we're just going to adapt as we go for product and and design but what i would say is like you got to work backwards from the task right like some things genuinely benefit and move forward when there are groups of people working very closely together or they require a little bit of status driven or like just human interaction and need to move quickly with, you know, people looking each other in the eyes and responding and doing things. But if something breaks down into a task where like it can be broken up into week long chunks, there's probably no reason that someone needs to go into the office. Not really. Jen, what were the tools that you used to manage these remote teams? If there's anything sort of beyond the basics that you'd like to tell us about, we'd love to hear it. And, And have you used the same tools and the same workflows like since going fully remote, which, you know, it sounds like for you wasn't much of a difference. Yeah. So, I mean, Slack is basically like our digital office for all of Glitch, which is a blessing and a curse. And we use Zoom for, <laughs> for meetings. And, and you know, one thing one thing that we do at Glitch that, you know, previous companies I worked at didn't do is that if you had people in a meeting in the office and also remote, like everybody has to kind of sign into Zoom as individuals so that everybody has like an equal level hmm. playing field going into a meeting. It's not like five remote people versus like the whole New York office in a conference room. And so the the transition was really, really quite simple there. In fact, it was it was easier for me as a manager who's in lots of meetings. Like I don't have any trouble now finding like a phone booth to go into because I'm just in my kitchen. Like I'm not going to walk into my kitchen and see like Anil is in my kitchen and I'm like, oh, I have to find another place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We actually did this interesting thing at Stack. Uh, like once our, our new CEO, Prashanth, joined we were having these meetings in person in the boardroom. Sarah, I don't know if you had this experience where mm. people from New York would get together, but people would dial in on the big, 
you know, conference TV with the microphones. And then we were like, well, it always kind of favors the people in the room. And we started having these meetings with everybody just at their desk and at their office, even if you were in New York, like you could have in-person meetings, you know, if you wanted with somebody there, you could have lunch. But if it was like a team meeting where everybody was supposed to be equal, we did it remote, even though we, you know, the majority of people could have done it in person. No, that's, that is a good practice. Like people, people definitely talk about that, like that quite a bit. I mean, you need high bandwidth. You need like, there, there are a lot of patterns for this. I think a lot of times people tend to get very solutionist and are just sort of like, you know, there's one right way to do this. It's flexible in the same way that there's 8 million kinds of work cultures in general. Jen, I want to change. I I just like, I need help. And I want to ask you a question. (laughs) I'm excited. Can you give me like just a couple minutes and explain what the hell TypeScript is? And why it's so damn popular. Because you come in from a world of deep JavaScript right now. And Glitch, I associate with JavaScript. What What is TypeScript? Help me out. Because everybody's talking about it. Yeah. So TypeScript is basically Java for people who think they're too cool to like Java. Uh... No, so uh, actually TypeScript is a... Um... <laughs> I used to teach Java. And so when TypeScript started becoming popular, I was like, oh, this is familiar. TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. And so it comes with various syntactic sugars that makes JavaScript a bit more safer for those Java and C++ developers that, you know, need to write JavaScript, but want to do it in a way that they are more used to. And uh, there's lots of like extra tooling and stuff for it. It adds a transpiling uh, step, which is kind of... Okay, what's a transpiler? Transpiler, essentially, it takes the code that you've written and converts it into something that the browser can actually render. Um, oh, okay. Your browser, your browser doesn't know, doesn't you know, give a shit what TypeScript is. It's like, what? Who is she? You have to convert it into JavaScript, and so TypeScript is more so a language for the developer. It allows you to, you know, write your code in a, you know, in some opinions, a cleaner way. There's static typing, so you're declaring your variables ahead of time, so you're less likely to run into bugs later on in your program. Yeah, there's just like a lot of really good tooling for it that allows like code reformatting and linting and stuff like that, which is exactly how I would describe the Java programming language. Can I ask a question really quick? When you guys are saying Java and then JavaScript, are you using them interchangeably? When you say TypeScript is like really Java for people and they're too cool. Right. So you're, you're talking about Java. Typescript is like Java, not JavaScript, right? Like no. So my, my first statement, my first yeah. statement that TypeScript is Java is uh, satirical and snarky. Java is a separate language from JavaScript. They're just named together because there were some uncreative people in the mid '90s that decided to roll onto the <laughs> yeah. Java hype when JavaScript was created. In like 1996. Um, I mean, this is this yeah. is back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, I can I'm get cool down with that. that. I love Java. I was, JVM yeah. ecosystem, all good. I was born in 2005, so yeah. I... You know. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been in the, the, the tech industry for several years, actually. I, I come from academia, and I was um, teaching Java to college students for a few years. And then I was doing work building like galaxy collision simulators and physics kind of stuff Mm -hmm. in Java. And then I decided to go to the web and discovered JavaScript 
And I was like, this is cool. It's more portable. I could write it anywhere. The browser already knows it. I don't have to like compile. Hitting that like compile button and like waiting for bugs to come up, like probably took like 10 years off of my life. But uh, Java, like the IDEs, the tools that like I had at my disposal were just so fantastic. And that was what I missed with JavaScript. And the cool thing about the TypeScript ecosystem becoming bigger and more popular is that I'm seeing like that tooling that I missed and that like thoughtfulness around writing safer code and and, and less buggy code. It's a really exciting thing to see in the ecosystem. Mm. It's cool because also like as it lints, it sends back all the information on your hard drive. It's a really interesting tool that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, yesterday on uh, All Things Considered or whatever, there was a long segment about remote work and companies that they, I don't remember exactly where they're, but large, you know, companies of a certain ilk are now forcing people to install software on their computers for working at home that monitors which programs you're using, tracks your mouse movements and clicks, and takes random screenshots throughout the day to see what you're looking at. Oh, yeah. Holy yeah. I mean, geez. that's 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 uh, been the dream This for a is a, I was going to say, this, this takes me back to that earlier conversation about, you know, how there's this sort of small bubble of large companies that TechCrunch covers, and there's this whole other larger world that we often forget. This software and those practices have been in place for lots of people for a really long time. And it's only just starting to break into the surface of like the startup world in Silicon Valley, because I think people who grew up as programmers in those other companies are coming to become managers in Silicon Valley and bringing those practices in. And I think instead of combating that, they're going to figure out how to disrupt that and create nicer looking versions of software. Jen, I don't know if you know this, but at the end of every episode, we give a little shout out to the Stack Overflow community and to people who are contributing knowledge by reading one lifeboat. Uh, lifeboat is a badge we give it on Stack Overflow. If you took a question that had a score of negative three, answered it, and then that answer was accepted and the score went up to, I think it's 20 or more. So you took a, a question that was in the dustbin of history and you saved it and made it into a useful knowledge artifact. So yay for Lifeboat. Oh, that's nice. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. So we've got a new Lifeboat from Francis Colas for the question, how to remove words from a list in Python. All right. Good to know. Sounds useful. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jen. We should do it again, live, not live, in person. Who knows? Someday in the future. Uh, <laughs> virtual reality. We'll, we'll make it happen. We chatted a little bit about Glitch. We talked about remote work. We talked about the small, unheralded software shop making $10 million a year in profit. Much love to him. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And I am going to get some fiber from Germantel and upgrade my game today. Great. I'm Sarah Chip, Sarah J. Chips on Twitter and the Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of a product development firm called Postlight. Get in touch if you need me at FTrain on Twitter. And Jen, how do we reach you? Yeah, I'm Jen Schiffer, Director of Community Engineering at Glitch.com. And I'm Jen Schiffer on Twitter. That's Jen with two N's. Woohoo! Sarah, if people want to see what happened during Dev Around the Sun, is there like an archive of stuff they could go check out and watch, or is it was it just live? There will be, but I don't have a URL, so. We don't have the archive yet. And Jen, is there anything that Glitch is doing right now or is coming out in the next couple of days you want to shout out? 
Yeah, go to glitch.com slash pricing. We've added some really awesome boosting features to really take the apps that you are building to much higher levels, things like extra disk space and memory, moving rate limiting, and also you get a cute little gem over your project avatar, which uh, is it makes really it all worth cool it. to see. Ooh. So check that out. And then also go to glitch.com slash glimmer, which we were talking about earlier that yes. uh, Postlight helped us out with. There's really good stuff. It's a really beautiful site to that's look good, at. That's some good long read. Get your, get your large fancy tablet out, lean back in a sofa and check that out. Yeah. 